Well, we're going to continue our study through the book of Mark. Let's give a little recap of what we talked about last week. Jesus gave us a reminder that God sets the definition of marriage. We don't set it. State doesn't set it. Church doesn't set it. God sets the definition. One man, one woman, one lifetime. He also uses the illustration of intimacy that completes and continues to complete the marriages and what happens if intimacy is not frequently maintained. The Bible says if it's not maintained, we give the enemy a foothold in our lives and in our marriages. How many know who James Dobson is? James, everybody like James Dobson? He's a pretty good guy, right? How many listen to his show, Focus on the Family? He's now got his own show. How many have read his books? Marriage expert, right? He's, would you agree that you like his advice? I heard a podcast with him the other day or a radio show talking about that specific thing. And the question was posed to him, so, intimacy within marriage. How often? You know what he said? This is, this is Dobson. You all like him. He said at least once a week. I didn't say it. I didn't write it. I'm just giving you an authority on marriage of what his response to that question was. Because what happens is you give the enemy a foothold if it doesn't happen. So, Jesus gives us God's best for marriage, which is not the divorce, but he also gave us the allowable reasons for a separation. And lastly, we showed that divorce is not the unpardonable sin, that there is forgiveness and restoration even after a divorce. Amen? Praise God. You're not, you're not stigmatized by God by what happened in your life. And all of us, no matter what sin we commit, Aren't you glad we don't carry that label around anymore? <laughs> so now we come to the next section of Mark 10, which is kind of a progression from the previous section. Last week we talked about marriage. This week we talked about children. Natural progression. Marriage, then kids. That's God's order of things. So Mark 10, verse 13 says, People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them from the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. Well, let's pray. Father, we again thank you for your word and we know that your word is true. Help us to rightly divide your word of truth and apply it to our lives so that we become more like you. I just pray your wisdom and blessing upon these passages of your scriptures to encourage us to draw close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we mentioned before, children weren't thought of by Jewish society as being, this is kind of an oxymoron, they weren't considered valuable. However, even though having children was considered a blessing from God, if if they didn't have kids, the woman was looked down on that, on, by that. But as kids progressed and got older, they weren't too valuable to society. I don't understand that, but that's the way. Now, that was Jewish economy, not God's economy. Because in God's economy, children are a blessing from God. 
Psalm 127 verse 3 says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. And in Bible times, not to have children brought a couple to sorrow and disgrace. 1 Samuel 1.10. It says, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used upon his head. Then way back in Genesis chapter 30 says, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Without going into detail in the sermon, we know that God values children. Is there any doubt that God values children? From the moment of conception, God values children. God sees them as human beings, not lumps of tissue, not products of conception, and not even a part of the mother's body. God views, from the moment of conception, a baby. Psalm 139 says in verse 13, you made, me, you made all the, the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. So there's no doubt that God values children. And God needs to set the disciples straight in this, and he needs to set us straight about that as well. So going back to Mark 10, verse 13, it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. Now, this was a common practice back then. People would bring their kids to smart people, learned people, rabbis, priests, to have them blessed. You know, and some of them were infants. Some of them were older children. But that was a common practice. So for them to do that to Jesus was not, a, was not way out of the ordinary. Now, if you look at verse, in Luke chap, Luke's version of this, in verse 15 in chapter 18, it says, people were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. Now, all ages were being brought to Jesus. And in Mark's use of the word children is the same word that's used for Jairus's 12-year-old daughter later in the Bible. So you're talking about various ages of kids, from newborns to teenagers. And both accounts put together show us the age range that were coming to Jesus. And again, in Jewish society, not God's laws, but in sinful people's attitudes, children were often discounted. If you're looking, how many have seen the movie um, about child trafficking? Yeah, Son of Freedom. You see how the wickedness of people affects children. And in fact, in the Old Testament, one of the reasons that God sent judgment on Israel because of their offering their children as a sacrifice to the God of Molech. Leviticus 20 says, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, any Israelite or alien living in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech must be put to death. The people of the community are to stone him. I will set my face against that man and I will cut him off from his people for by giving his children to Molech, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. And if the people of the community close their eyes when this man gives one of his children to Molech and they fail to put him to death, I will set my face against that man and his family. 
and will cut off from their people both him and all who follow him in prostituting themselves to Molech. If you think that God won't bring judgment upon us as a nation for allowing what we allow, I think you're mistaken. I mean, look at what's happening in, in our, just in our country right now. God, I think God is letting our country turn itself over to, as the Romans said, a reprobate mind. He's letting us do it to ourselves. If you know history, pretty much every country that has disintegrated has disintegrated from within. They were not conquered by somebody else. They just blew themselves up. And I think God is allowing that to start in this country with, between abortion and the child trafficking. I think God's doing something. So back to Mark's account, verse 13 says, people are bringing children to Jesus, but the disciples rebuked them. Now, these guys never seem to learn. We were talking about this in class today. And in talking about, we mentioned it in prayer about being oppressed by the enemy. How many have felt oppressed? Not, you're not possessed, but you are oppressed. Things come in your life that kind of bring you down. Well, you look at, we use the example of Peter. Peter's always shooting his mouth off, always putting his foot in his mouth, always getting in trouble. And even near the end, he cuts off the, the priest's ear, the guard's ear. So he was still not fully sold out to God. He was letting the flesh and the enemy take control of him in different situations. When he told Jesus, you know, I'm never gonna let you get crucified, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So the enemy had control and influence on his life. And if we're not careful, we can allow that to happen to us by what's happening around us. And these guys were instantly doing what they thought they should be doing. And they never, they never seemed to learn because Jesus just told them about kids one chapter ago. Literally in chapter nine, verse 36, Jesus, he took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So they heard this not too long ago, and yet the kids are coming exactly like Jesus said to do it, and they're saying, no, we don't want the kids around. These, these guys can't remember from one day to the next. And I read that, how many times do I forget one day to the next what I read or what I hear in a sermon? right here in the radio and maybe I walk away from the radio or walk out the doors of the church and forget everything that was said to me in that moment and go back the way I was doing it I don't allow it to change me how often do we keep on doing the things that we read or heard and we know that we shouldn't be doing them or we should be doing them and yet we still don't so it's easy to jump on these guys for doing this in other words we're looking at the speck in their eye when we should look at ourselves first. How often do we hear, you know, we're accountable for every sermon, every lesson we hear, we're accountable for those. What do we do with what we hear? These guys weren't listening. One chapter later, they're doing exactly the same thing. We need to be sure that what we're listening to and what we're reading, that it affects our lives, that it changes us. That we're listening, not just hearing words, but we're allowing it to change us. Now it says the word people in that words in there. 
Now the word is, is a masculine word and it assumes that fathers, mothers, and other family members are bringing these kids to Jesus. So why would the disciples rebuke the parents for bringing the kids? Well, looking at the natural, maybe they think they're protecting Jesus' time. They're allowing him to conserve his strength. One commentary says this, perhaps they wanted to protect his privacy and shield him from needless interruptions. Though their motives may have been commendable, they again show a lack of spiritual sensitivity. How many have prayed that God forgives you? Of the, you don't have to show me your hands. That God forgive you of the same thing over and over again. I'll show you my hand. You do something today, you ask for forgiveness, and you do it again tomorrow, and you ask for forgiveness. Do it again the next day, and you ask for forgiveness. The disciples were in that, that trap. They were letting the outside situation dictate how their spirit was, how their heart was. And they thought they were doing Jesus a favor. And there's multiple times of asking for forgiveness. How many have said, I need to stop asking for forgiveness because I've done it too many times? Well, even though you may have done it a bunch, it's okay to do it one more time. Jesus, even though he needed his strength and he needed his time, he did not want the children to not come to him. And so he wants us to come to him as well. So when they rebuked him, his answer was predictable. In verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Now, some versions of the Bible use the phrase greatly displeased or very displeased. But one commentator says that, that phrasing is too tame, that the NIV gets it right, that he was indignant. It's a harsher word than the word displeased. Mark's account is the only one that uses that term. Now, if you read Mark, he never seems to hide or soften Jesus' reaction to things or sugarcoat it when the disciples fail. He lays it out there. How many know the song, the Charles Wesley song, Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild? You know the song? You know the lyrics? Well, that's not always the case. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He was indignant because the guys were trying to block children from coming to Jesus. And he's saying, hey, don't stop them because they are the examples that you adults need to follow. Remember, we're talking about being great. You want to be great? Behave like these guys are behaving right now. Now, how often do we tell our kids to behave like a grown-up? You need to behave older. Well, Jesus is telling just the opposite. Adults, you need to sometimes behave like kids. Why? Because children are totally dependent on their parents or other adults for many much everything in their life. When we come to Christ, we are totally dependent upon him and not ourselves. Do we come to Jesus feeling totally dependent upon him or do we think we have it all sewn up, that we're pretty good? We only need Jesus for this section over here. Children, especially smaller children, 
they depend on you for everything. And they believe everything you tell them. Children love their parents unconditionally. Even if the parents argue, are not loving, or absent. Children have an innate need to love their parents unconditionally. I've heard accounts of people, and I'm sure you know children the same way, they love their parents and they want their parents loved even though their parents aren't even there. There used to be a show on, I forget the name of it, where they used to search for long-lost parents, I think long-lost family or something like that. Adoptive kids want to know who their parents were and want to know what was the circumstances around the adoption. They've never met them, no idea who they are, but they have that innate need to find the parent. And hopefully, they want the parent to love them and explain what happened. Kids want parents to acknowledge their love for them. They need you to acknowledge that. We need to understand and acknowledge God's love for us. We need to hear what God says to us that he loves us. You know, I think about all of us have different emotional faculties. We all operate differently emotionally. There was a book out called The Five Love Languages. How many remember? It's a pretty older book. It talks about which type of love you means something to you. Some were physical touch, some were words of encouragement, some were affirmation, you know, different things that mean something to you. Giving gifts, that was another one. These things, one particular thing means something to you more than the other one does. And a lot of times we may have, and maybe guys are this way more than girls, but you don't have a lot of emotion towards other people. You have your friends, but you're not friends and what we want to do is we want to get beyond the yeah he's my he's my buddy with Jesus to understand how much Jesus really loves us to get beyond the emotional thing of that we need to understand that God's love for us is something the same way a parent loves a small child and Jesus wants these guys to understand the love for them not just the discipline but the love he has for them and why the discipline comes They needed to hear and experience what Jesus was talking about. And he goes on in verse 15, says, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The phrase, I tell you the truth, just basically emphasizes what he's going to say. In other words, like, listen up. This is what I need you to understand. You want to receive the kingdom like, you want to receive the kingdom? You need to act like a child. Now, how do we act like kids? You have to enter God's kingdom, in other words, saving faith, with the same attributes that children have when they talk to their parents. We come by faith, just like little children. You are helpless. You're unable to save yourself. You're totally dependent on the mercy and the grace of God. Now, when your children get hurt when they're little, what do they do? They come running to mom, right? They skin their knee. They come running to mom. What happens when they get hurt emotionally? Boyfriend dumps them, they have no friends. They come to mom and dad. What should we do when we get hurt? Tell everybody else? 
we should go to our Father. Just like your children do. Now, how many of you grew up believing that your dad could fix anything? And nobody cooked better than your mom. Now, it's only when you get older and, quote, smarter that you don't think those things anymore. You find out dad's not perfect, and you find out mom's not perfect. That's when you get older. Jesus is saying, you need to keep the attitudes you had as children, believing that your dad can fix anything, your mom can do anything. Don't let growing up and getting, quote, smart stop the childlike faith that you had as a child. When my kids were little, they were, I forget which one it was, they were on the couch, and they were doing this to the back of Anna's head. And she said, what are you doing? And they they were serious. I'm looking for the eyes in the back of your head. Because that's what Anna said to them. I got eyes in the back of my head. They believed it because she said it. As, as you're all laughing because yeah, it's not true. That's, how kind of, that's the kind of faith that God wants us to have. It sounds impossible. God wants us to believe it anyways. When you become adults, we tend to overanalyze things and become cynical and doubting. Jesus is saying, you want to you receive the kingdom of God? You want to enter into God's kingdom? Keep your attitudes just like little kids do with their parents. Now, God wants you to be childlike, not childish. How many know the difference? We all know kids who are childlike. We all know our attitudes when we're childlike. And we also know the attitudes of someone who is childish. Childlike is humble and accepting, simple faith and trust. Childish is prideful and selfish, not having faith or trust. We need to be careful how we ref- reflect our childish person. Are we childlike, honest and humble, or are we childish, selfish? Which one are we? Verse 16 says, and he took the children into his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Now my grandkids, you know, they'll come to my office, the little ones. Not these guys so much anymore because they're, t- they're too big. But the little ones come over and I'll throw them up on my, min- on my knee. I'll ask him to do that, and he'll say no. But the little ones, they're still good with that. They'll get up on my knee, and they'll sit there, and sometimes I get one on each knee. That's what I picture Jesus doing with the kids that come to him. Here, jump up on my lap. Why? Because they just want to be with Jesus. Now, some of the kids may be too big to sit on his lap, but I imagine some are there, and the rest are gathered around him, just listening to what he says. And maybe he's put his arms around the crowds of kids that's there. When you come to Jesus, do you think that you're sitting on his lap? That he's got his arm around you? Tell me what's going on. I know, but I want you to tell me anyways. And what Jesus is doing here, he's kind of shutting out everybody else. Shutting the disciples out, the crowds out. He's only focused on the kids. Nothing else is going to get into that circle of kids that are around him. Jesus is saying, let me spend time with these guys. That's how God wants to spend time with you. 
When the little kids come over, you just want to spend time with them. It doesn't matter what you're doing, you just want to be with them. And if they sleep over, sometimes you just want to watch them while they're sleeping, they're so little and cute. That's what God wants. That's how God looks at us. And we have to understand we need to look that way to God. That we're not some smart, smart adult that God needs help with, but we're a kid that really can't do anything for ourselves and we're trusting God to do everything for us. Now the word blessed here literally means fervently blessing. It wasn't a simple pat in the head, bless you, bless you, bless you. It was fervently blessing the kids. The Fire Bible commentary says it this way. Christ is deeply concerned about the well-being and ultimately the spiritual upbringing of children. We have a kids ministry downstairs. You all know that. Some of you send your kids down there. <laughs> Gladly send them down there. But it's not a babysitting service, right? It's not a babysitting service so we can enjoy the, the adult service. We are intent on teaching them about Jesus and the love of God while they still have simple trust to believe what God's word says before they get old and cynical like us, right? The stats, and these are, these are old statistics, but from years ago, and I'm sure they're not any better, that 85% of people who become Christians do so before they turn 18 because they still have the trust. They still believe what you tell them, and they accept it. Their pattern of learning is different than an adult's pattern of learning. Children believe first and then study to find out if that's true. They believe because you told them. Then they study to make sure you're right. Acts 17, 11. It says, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness. They believed it. And then they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They believed it, then they wanted to verify it. Adults want to study first to see if you're right before they believe it. John 6, 30. So they asked him, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and then believe? As adults, we get hardened. We get our opinions set. And if you're waiting for someone to convince you of your need for Jesus before you believe, you're not gonna get it. Because, I mean, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and some didn't believe. I mean, I don't know what they wanted, but it's not the miracles that save you. It's the miracles that get your attention so you believe. God wants us to come to him before we experience any miracle. Now, it may happen, God may do that to get your attention, but it's not the miracle that saves you. It's the faith that you have that the God of the miracle did it. If you're waiting to be presented with the truth before you believe, you're gonna have to come to a point where you don't have every answer to every question. And you're gonna have to step out in faith to believe it. Even if you don't have the answers that you're looking for. Because you'll always have one more question. You can, I can answer every question you have. There's going to be one more. I'll answer that. There's one more. John 6.36 says, But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. There will never be enough evidence to satisfy you in the natural. 
You need to take the step of faith to believe that what we're saying is true before it's verified to you. Once you believe and then you search it out, then you find out that it's true. But you have to believe first. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. You gotta believe it first and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Notice it doesn't say, without every question and doubt answered, it's impossible to believe. No. You have to come to him with questions on your mind that you can't answer, that no one can answer, and you have to yet believe what he says. When you tell a child something, they will usually believe it without testing it first. When I was a kid, we had an old cast iron hot water furnace. And on the front of this furnace was a little green box about that big. And what it was, it was the, I know it now was a pilot reset. My dad told me and my brother, if you push that button, the house will blow up. I mean, Sirius has a heart attack. He's telling us this. He says, you touch that, it's going to blow the house up. And so guess what? We didn't touch it. For the longest time, we're like, I'm not getting near that button. Until one day, my brother, now is this going to really blow up the house? Let's find out. And he pushed it and nothing happened. But up until the point where we tested him, we believed it. As impossible as it seems to all of you now, we, man, it was, it was the gospel. We couldn't touch that button or we'd be dead. That's how Jesus is telling us you need to enter his kingdom. Trust what I'm saying like a child trusts what his dad tells him. If a five-year-old, you tell a five-year-old something, they're going to believe it. Without you having to explain why it's true. Don't touch this button because it will send electronic current to the pilot light and blow. No, just don't touch the button. Okay. That's how you have to come to God. Come by faith. You need to have your sins forgiven to be saved. Okay. Don't know why. Don't know why all this stuff is happening in the world. But if that's what you say, I'm going to believe that part of it. And then I'm going to have the stuff answered as I get older in the Lord. But if you're waiting for all this to be answered before you come to faith, you're never going to come to faith. Because there will always be something that won't be answerable. There's always questions that we can't answer. Why are there sick people? Why do bad things happen to good people? You know, none of those questions you can answer. I mean, you can answer them with what God's word says. We don't know. That's the answer. But when you come to Christ by simple faith, Lord, your word says this. I don't get it. I don't understand it yet. I have a lot of questions. But because you said it, I'm going to do it. Let me close one example. I don't have this scripture up there, but when Jesus told the disciples to go out in the boat with the net, he says, put your net over the other side of the boat and you'll catch a bunch of fish. And the guy said, well, Lord, we already went fishing. He said, let's do it. And the disciples, what they say? Because you said so, I'll do it. I'm not going to, I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm just doing it simply because your word says to do it. And when God's word says to do something, you may not have every answer to why he's telling you to do it. Just do it. And once you do it, you'll see the results of the faith. Now, those guys could have been arguing with Jesus all day long. Lord, we just spent 10 hours in the woods. There's no fish out there. There's nothing we're going to catch. And all that was probably logical. Jesus said, just trust me. 
Trust me on this, and you'll see. That's the way faith is. Lord, I can't understand it, but I'm going to trust you that it's true. Amen? Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? There's a lot of things in God's word that that God calls us to do, to believe, to trust, to implement. Not just personally, but corporately. Things that we may think don't make any sense. And that, that, that can't possibly happen today. That's where faith has to come in. And the first act of faith that we have to do as a believer is to come to that point where we believe. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never really committed your life to Christ. You've heard about it, but again, you're one of these people like I was, you've got a thousand questions that no one can answer. And until someone gives you every answer to every question, you're not going to believe. Well, this sermon was for you. Because I can tell you, you're not going to have every question answered. There's always going to be doubt in your mind. You have to come to the point where you say simply, I don't get it. But because your word says that I'm a sinner and your word tells me that Jesus died to pay the debt for my sin, still don't get it. And the Bible says as many as receive him, not everybody, but as many as receive him, those he gave the authority or the right to be called children of God. Still don't get it, but I'm going to believe what your word says. And I believe you're going to answer some of those questions as I get older. So if that's you and you're waiting to really make a decision for Christ, the Bible says today's a day of salvation, not next week. Not, not waiting for Thanksgiving or Easter to come around or Christmas and I'll get saved now. Today's a day of salvation. You may not be here Easter or Thanksgiving or Christmas. So you need to make that choice today. And if that's you, and you know God's speaking to you because you feel that in the back of your mind, you know it. You just got to answer that call. You just got to make that decision to believe. Simply trust. If, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand because I'm going to pray with you and show you what God can plan in your life. For the rest of us, maybe us who are older, as we get older, we become cynical. We wanting more and more answers, but God says to continue to keep coming into God's kingdom, we come by the faith of a child. Lord, don't let our, our smarts get in the way of what your word tells us is true. Things that we may not understand, realize how they're gonna happen, but because your word says it, we believe it. Father, I thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. And I thank you that your word is true and it always encourages us to come to you with simple faith. That you love us like a father loves a little child. That we can crawl up in your lap and call you dad. Whether or not you had a good dad or not, I think we all understand what a good dad could be. And Father, we know that you are that good dad. 
Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here. Allow them to experience not the, not the God the judge, but God the Father who loves his kids. And the Bible says, and Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Help us to realize that, Jesus, you are our friend. Help us to understand that and help us to live our life knowing that the God of the universe is my friend. Father, we love you this morning. And we just pray that our life is a reflection of our love for you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next, this Wednesday or Sunday.